0: sex two women two glasses of wine and a whole world of problems to navigate yes there's going to be some rage but there's also going to be a hell of a lot of laughing learning catharsis, and camaraderie along the way so grab a glass of wine and join us
1: Welcome back to another episode of the onfarisex podcast we are delighted to have two returning guests and two doctors in the house which makes this episode doubly great. If you've been following us for a little while now, hopefully you'll remember listening to Dr. Carolyn Klein's episode and also hearing from Dr. Smita Sinha on the Pause Live episode 2. So we are super grateful to both of them for making time to return to the podcast and talk to us about the importance of language in women's healthcare, uh, the difference between a vulva and a vagina, and also to address some of the misconceptions around female sexuality. So without further ado, I'm going to hand over to Dr. Carolyn Klein to introduce yourself and then we'll hear um, from Dr. Smita Sinha as well.
2: Perfect, wonderful. It's so nice to be back speaking with you. Um, So yes, I'm Carolyn Klein. I am a registered psychologist in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. I am co-director of what's called the West Coast Centre for Sex Therapy, where we provide sex therapy to individuals, couples, and other partnership configurations to anyone living in British Columbia. Um, So we are working with people with sexual desire discrepancies, sexual pain conditions, traumatic sexual experiences, concerns about their sexual function, sexual pain, um, really anything to do with sexuality and um, yet always really happy to have these kinds of conversations because it always brings up great topics that I think most people are shy to talk about or haven't had a lot
3: of exposure to. So thank you so much for having me here. Um, I'm Smita, I'm a consultant gynaecologist and founder um, of a private women's health clinic called Serenity Women's Clinic. So um, the aim of the clinic is essentially to provide uh, care and support for midlife um, concerns onwards, so whether that's uh, menopause concerns, um, whether that's sort of issues to do uh, specifically around vulval health um but also looking at intimate health um and also just sort of uh pro-aging aesthetics and things as well um and yeah lovely to be back and lovely to meet you all again and lovely to meet you carolyn as well this evening likewise
0: something i just want to say before we jumped into our sorry what did you say our last uh the last time carolyn was with us her sorry what did you say uh was about a wedding fair who didn't accept um a um was it a it was a like a women's sexual health uh, group to to attend the wedding fair and how you had written to this wedding fair and tried to get them to um to accept them for numerous reasons and please go listen to that episode to hear how what we discussed on on that episode That uh, organization, um, as a result of the podcast and and our conversation, said it kind of re-sparked their desire to push to get into these wedding fairs again. And they wrote to them and managed to get accepted for attendance, which is really very cool. Um, So, yeah, I was really pleased about that.
2: Yeah, I I, I was so thrilled for them as well. They were so pumped when they heard how much we were talking about it and they got so angry and they decided, (laughs) hang on, we're going to approach this wedding fair again and... Again, I don't know about the rest of the world, but I think it was the first wedding fair in all of Canada, if not in North America, to have a booth devoted to women's sexual pleasure and wellness.
1: And uh, it was awesome. I'm so glad you brought that up, Rhiannon, because I think sometimes we forget people actually listen to this podcast and it's actually really lovely to hear that, you know, just from our conversations, that sparking inspiration and activism out in the real world, that's just really quite cool. Yeah. And actually, Smita, you brought a piece of activism to our attention, and it was the iconic dress at this year's Golden Globes. Yeah.
0: For anyone who doesn't know, Julianne Anderson was wearing a dress, a white dress, that when you zoomed in, it's covered in vulvas.
3: So, so good, right? It's
0: just, it's yeah. awesome.
3: <laughs> and they're hand-embroidered as well. So this was, you know, a project that was actually... Took quite a long time, I guess, for the
1: for the thought concept behind it as well. Yeah, that is, that is such a great point. Um, I mean, it was it was just beautiful, and it feels like it's continuing this wave of again small acts of activism. You know, like Florence Pugh. Was on a red carpet a few years back now, and had like you know with her nipples out, and that was this huge thing. And I think like the more we start seeing these sort of protests, if you want to call them those, on the red carpets, you know the more normal this is going to get. And I just love it. I just like the fact that we're just starting to see these little acts of activism, um, just pushing back against you know what we've been taught is normal. And obviously we know it's not normal. We just we know it now to be shame. So yeah, it's really refreshing to see that sort of thing happening more and more. Okay, so now you have uh, been introduced to Dr. Carolyn and you've been introduced to Dr. Smita. Um, Before we jump into the heart of this episode, we are going to do Oh, sorry, what did you say? Now, because we have two guests, we decided that we were just going to pick something from the news uh, to focus on. Now, this piece of news actually happened towards the back end of December 2023, but we felt it was important because it represents a much wider social issue. So we wanted to tackle James Cleverley's comments that he made whilst attending a Downing Street reception. So, yes, it was a private event, but it's important to understand that Downing Street represents a place of work. And for those who aren't familiar with James Cleverly, he is the UK Home Secretary, so quite an important role uh, in one of the highest offices within the uk political system now what could james have said that was so bad to have made it onto to the sorry what did you say section of the unfair sex podcast well according to the sunday mirror mr cleverly told guests at the reception that a little bit of rehypnol in her drink every night was not really illegal if it was only a little bit he apparently went on to laugh about the fact that the secret to a long marriage was making sure your spouse was someone who is always mildly sedated, so you can never realise there are better men out there. Now this is obviously problematic for a number of reasons, but one of the reasons why it sparked such interest and why the Sunday Mirror believed that they had a responsibility to report it, even though most comments made during a down the street reception is generally considered off record. It's for a number of reasons. One is Cleverley's position and the second is the subject. So earlier that day, the Home Office had announced plans to crack down on spiking. So being the Home Secretary, this would very much fall under his remit. So the fact that he is behind closed doors making jokes around Jug his wife would seem problematic when he is responsible for involved in a national campaign to clamp down on spiking. right? Um, he has apologised he said that his apologies were really heartfelt and immediate and he regrets what he said but actually for a lot of people it's not enough and um you know they pointed out that it could be upsetting and triggering to victims a spike in a sexual assault and has you know some people called for an overhaul of attitudes that normalize banter around date rape and coercive control Katie Russell, who is the CEO and co-founder of Support After Rape and Sexual Violence Leeds, said that I think the fact that he felt these comments were appropriate to make, even in the spirit of jest, in such a public and official capacity, really reflects how seriously rape culture still has a grip on our society. Following on from that, we heard from Jemima Olkowoski, who is the chief executive of leading women's rights charity, the Fawcett Society, and she said that we know that banter is the excuse under which misogyny is allowed to thrive. How can we trust cleverly to seriously address violence against women and girls? We deserve better than this from our lawmakers, and he should resign. Now, he obviously hasn't resigned, but it does, you know, beg the question, how many chances should we be given these men? Because I think a lot of them also hide behind the excuse of, well, I just didn't know, or it was just a slip of the tongue. That's just the culture here. Oh, you know, it's just a joke among friends, no harm done. Um, Or, you know, my personal favourite, well, I apologise, so can we just move on? And Part of me feels that when you apologise and then nothing happens, there's no accountability that follows, well, then that's just lip service. And when you consider how many other incredibly talented individuals will never get the opportunity, but we keep giving like, second chances, third chances, fourth chances to people who should know better by now, right? You know, again, one of the most senior men in this country is making rape jokes at a party, you know, at his place of work. Why should we have to forgive that sort of behaviour? Why should we trust him to implement a national campaign around spiking when he so candidly made a joke about spiking his own wife's drink, right? So... For me, that's why this makes me feel so uneasy because if he's so willing and so prepared to say that in private, well, then it shows that deep down he perhaps doesn't take the subject as seriously as he would like the public to believe. And hiding behind, it was just a joke, I apologise for it, just doesn't feel like enough anymore. Um, Especially when we know that You know, over 6,700 reports of spiking were made in England and Wales between May 2022 and April 2023. So, like, you know, this is a really serious matter that affects a lot of people. You know, and if the government is serious about tackling violence against women and girls through campaigns to do with spiking, well, then they should also adopt a zero-tolerance approach to misogyny from its front bench, from its mps from its bloody home secretary and yes jokes about raping women jokes about drugging women jokes around sedating women all of that falls under misogyny all that falls into rape culture and for those who are unfamiliar with the term rape culture it basically encapsulates behaviors and values beliefs that normalize trivialize or make light of sexual violence and undermine consent which is exactly what James cleverly did here when he said, you know, oh, well, just a little bit can't be illegal. All of it starts to create this grey area which can lead to then slut-shaming or victim-blaming or contributing to rape myths. And that, for me, is why this is so problematic and why we should be talking about it and why it's a sorry-what-did-you-say moment because, you know, we're in 2024 and we have our Home Secretary leaning on the excuse of, well, it was just a joke to try and explain away misogynist behaviour. I'm actually going to stop here. Hopefully that's enough of the facts and information. I'd love to hear your thoughts.
3: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's, as you were just saying beforehand, it's thinking, you know, we are where we are and then we get a couple of um, events or or things that we feel, yes, we've moved forwards, but unfortunately, no. We are still in this um, world of misogyny where people think this sort of behavior can be excused by that age-old pun of oh it's only a joke I mean sort of gaslighting to the highest level isn't it Um, and that's what happens in certain situations like this where people are like oh I did not mean that and I didn't you know it wasn't meant to come out like that and I'm only doing it for your good and you know whatever whatever and it's just it's it's pretty horrifying i would say um to have that coming from such a central not that i mean you know in terms of the government at the moment they're, they're chopping around like a pack of cards but <laughs> in terms of uh, you know a reasonably central member of 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 the of the cabinet mm. you know and I think there were calls for his resignation um, and things like that, which are absolutely right, because private or not private, if, as you said, if that's what's in your mind and is actually coming out in a sentence, given that you've just had this sort of campaign around it, then, you know, A, you're not the right person for that campaign. And B, Mm. we need to be seeing leadership from the top um, and culture from the top. Yeah. Not not just outwardly, but uh, all throughout. So, yeah, I mean, I think it was, it was horrific yeah, th- to hear.
1: Yeah, and unfortunately, at the basic level, you do not respect women and girls. Yeah. Because if you are prepared to centre them in your rapey, misogynist jokes, in a private setting where you are among peers that you feel safe enough to be yourself around, mm. well, then that says a lot about how you actually feel about things. Another point on this is why do we, you know, when when we point out someone else's misogynist behaviour, why is it that the first thing they do is, well, men love this? And an example I have Ooh. is Matt Rife last year. So he um, released a Netflix special. He opened his set with a joke around domestic abuse and that received uh, a lot of criticism online. Now, this, you know, the, the point isn't about whether or not it was a funny joke or not. But the point being is that, you know, when he was asked to apologise for the joke, he turned around and said, well, the only reason I made that joke is because I just gave the audience what they wanted. And that's the kind of humour that my male audience wanted. And I find it really interesting that the hashtag not all men is used so frequently when women start talking about their experiences of male violence or male harassment, male assault... And yet, in this situation where a comedian said, yep, I'm I'm cracking jokes around um, domestic abuse because that's what the men want, you don't hear men saying, actually, not all men. I'm not in that group of people. I'm not a misogynist, and I don't enjoy that kind of humour. And I find that really fascinating because I'd like to believe that not all men enjoy that humour. And for somebody like Matt Rive, he was just clutching at straws and trying to bring other people down with him um, when that kind of backlash happened. And so going back to James Cleverley, for, you know, for him to feel that he had to crack a joke such as that, for that particular audience, that says so much about the culture of UK politics, that that kind of joke, that he assumed that kind of joke would go down well in that particular room. Uh, The second thing is also, it says a lot about what he thinks is appropriate. And my question back to James Cleverley would be, you know, how does your wife feel about being made the butt of that joke. How does your wife feel about a joke being made at her expense? Because I would lose a lot of respect for my husband if he thought it was appropriate to start cracking jokes about keeping me drugged to make sure I didn't look at any other men. Like, I was about yeah. to say, how the hell
0: does James Cleverly's wife feel to like, that she, he said that about her? Like, I'd be devastated and furious if, I'd be checking every if drink if my partner if my partner said that I mean I don't think that I mean I, d- I don't think I would I, even if I d- yeah I'm not sure that I would I would go that far just because I'm I'm like it was a joke and it was a it, he's not you're doing telling me it. you wouldn't see that first
1: cup of tea to be like just checking <laughs> there's a know, bit of bubbles on
0: just, here I just like but I'd you be have it.
1: <laughs> yeah I'd
0: just be devastated if my if my partner said something like that to anybody mm. um yeah, I don't know how just... you move forward with that relationship. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it Sort of also goes back to that whole thing. Oh, boys will be boys, which you know will probably lead into a lot of the things that we'll talk about this evening. But you know, it's just so old now when you hear that, and you when you do hear that, you're just like, really? Like how you know now that sort of behaviour and language and talk is just seen as so you know old fashioned and, and things like that. That's kind of like almost the new old fashioned, but again perhaps there's this level of bias because obviously we're women that are advocating for, for various different issues and things and therefore do feel I guess maybe different to to say another group um, of people and therefore these actions do strike a lot um, you know more a conflict um, mm-hmm. when, they, when we do see them and hear them and, and perhaps for other people it's just sort of a Oh, okay. Well, they said it, and it's a bit of a joke. And okay, move on with it. I don't know, but um, I think it's it's just trying to spread that sort of equality out there. Really, that actually this message is not okay on any level. Um, Yeah, Yeah, I think it's you know, ironically, I would say I and I hadn't
2: made it here to Canada. So until you made me aware of it, I did not know about it, um, and I don't know much about him. But I would say, ironically, there's a a part of me that's thankful that it's getting all this media attention. Um, And I think we need to get to the point where it is just looked at as in bad taste. Like it's not even so much of did he mean it as a joke that it's just the audience right away. You know, if people make some sort of joke about sex with children, no one laughs. Everyone just right away kind of cringes and pulls back. And we still have a ways to go for people to not laugh in these moments and to just sort of actually from the people have the reaction of like, this is just not funny. This is as inappropriate as talking about uh, coercive sex in any other context or sex with children. So I think we still have a long way to go for people to not defend it of is it a joke or not, but to instead just have that base feeling of this is in bad taste, I I don't laugh. And that's I think going to change it um, when everyone just reacts differently.
1: Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right.
0: Yeah, and it's—I I mean, it's—it's uh, it's slightly un, unrelated. The—the the content of of the the joke, but at the Golden Globes, there was a uh, joke told about Taylor Swift, and her reaction was to just she just she didn't laugh, she didn't move her face, and everyone's like, oh, well, she's such a bitch, and that, of course, is the reaction you then get, and it's a it's an unrelated thing. It wasn't it wasn't to do with. Um, any anything around rape or anything, but the reaction if you don't laugh is like, well, what's what's your problem? And a similar mm-hmm. thing happened to me a few years ago. Someone who I used to be friends with told a, a rape joke and one in any what i mean in any context it wasn't funny but i was just like rape is not funny rape is never a joke just stop and he went are you serious and i said yes i'm serious and mm-hmm. and he said oh you used to be fun and i was just like but this isn't funny to me and so mm-hmm. i sent him all sorts of i spent i probably wasted far too much of my energy messaging him saying here's all the reasons that what you are doing and saying is wrong and i'm i'm not putting up with it anymore and yeah he was just like you're just you're not fun anymore and I was like okay well I guess that's that then and we're not friends because it's yeah I just said to him it's perpetuating rape culture and it's not okay but yeah the reaction when when you don't laugh at something that someone particularly a
1: man thinks is funny as well as you're a bitch Mm -hmm. right and Ryan Gosling's allowed to have a very similar reaction and not be called a bitch I mean yeah double standards (laughs) (laughs) um one thing I do want to quickly go back to, and it's actually the phrasing of James Cleverly's comment. And Rhiannon, if you remember, like way back, um, we spoke about the 10 second ruling in Italy. Yeah. To cut a long story short, uh, a, an Italian judge threw out an assault case because the assault lasted less than 10 seconds. And the reason that James Cleverly's phrase, not really illegal, if it's only a little bit, for me is quite a scary one is because we're already seeing courts lean into this grey area to let perpetrators off the hook for assaulting women, being violent towards women, raping women and it makes me feel uneasy because I can totally see that conversation playing out in court you know it was five grams rather than 15 grams so she should have been totally fine to get herself home. It becomes a reason not to believe the victim rather than evidence that the alleged perpetrator actually caused the victim harm. And when it comes from top office, so, you know, obviously a really famous example is Donald Trump saying, I'll grab, you know, grab her by the pussy. And that got completely swept under the carpet because it was deemed locker room talk and, you know, boys will be boys behaviour. And rather than taking him at his word, goes back to, you know, we should trust people when they tell us who they actually are. Nope. Instead, Donald Trump was elected as president of the USA. And so what that tells people looking on is that you can say misogynist things, you can cause violence towards women, and you can joke about it, and actually it's going to have no consequence to your career or your ability to make it into the highest office in your country. And that, for me, is an incredibly dangerous message because it makes no effort to try and change the very real reality of women trying to survive in a patriarchal system today and James Cleverly is just now another example of a politician who is feeding into that
3: yeah absolutely I think it's as you said as well it's uh, to not be aware <clears throat> also of the level of awareness that there is and activism that there is um and just general common senseness that there is now amongst um you know women for example um alone and to be able to think that you can still be able to say things like this, um, saying it, you know, even is bad enough. or even be able to think about things like this in the same way. It's just inexcusable nowadays. And, you know, as, as Carolyn said, it is that thing where it just makes you sit there and just go, you know, what, <laughs> how is that? Okay. Um, and exactly, as you said, just coming from that level um, of sort of, I guess, power in the UK, you're just, just you know wring your head really don't you you're just like gosh that's just taken it so far you know so many steps backwards now
1: yeah absolutely and perhaps what's most concerning is that there are people out there who have zero interest in moving forward at all like they don't want to stop telling sexist jokes they don't want to stop repeating misogynist ideas i mean you know only recently sean bailey who was an mp and actually part of the house of lords he turned around on national tv and said that carol vorderman should basically pipe down because she's either boobs or brains and she can't be both and because she shows off her figure on her instagram she's clearly just boobs it's just so exhausting how public these ideas are and why mainstream media keep giving these men these bloody platforms and this is what cracks me up when people say oh men just keep getting cancelled you can't say anything anymore like these men are literally being given platforms and paid to say misogynist things on air like these men are profiteering from really harmful sexist tropes about women and we just keep forgiving it we just keep giving them second chances and what's really frustrating is that we constantly see sexist men on these platforms failing up they don't get cancelled they don't get fired they get promoted and what's really frustrating about that is that we know that there are some really talented people waiting in the wings who will never get given that opportunity ever but they would be able to not only deliver on some of these things so again like taking the national campaign against spiking like there are some really talented people who would own that run with that and succeed with that but they'll never get given the chance because we keep giving second chances to people like james cleverly who thinks it's appropriate to joke about sedating his wife
0: just go backwards briefly you said oh people are saying let's give him a second chance that's not the first time he's said that joke he didn't just come up with that on the spot he's used that in other occasions you like how he's, many times because he the, will have said oh. that a few times and this is the first time he's been caught saying it like you know yeah. people have those things they roll out at, you know when they're drinking champagne with groups of people or whatever and that has to be one of them i, I bet he said it on numerous occasions yeah so, and but yeah. also
3: why give something like that a second chance i mean that's where the example has to be set that yeah. actually you you think you say something like that you're out That's not acceptable in society. And until we start to have that policy, I mean, imagine if someone did that in the workplace. They'd be straight in. Well, hopefully they'd be straight into HR (laughs) and facing some kind of disciplinary
1: action. Well, you know who certainly would
0: is a civil servant. A civil servant Hmm. certainly would be. And so, you know, and they're the ones that are working for, for James Cleverley.
1: Yeah, really good point yeah
0: i think normally we try and come up with like a thing that we'd say in that situation and in this situation you know all as i think as carolyn said you just when you hear these kind of jokes you just don't laugh you don't respond and tell people it's inappropriate and you'd hope i mean the people someone around james keverley uh heard him and leaked it uh you'd kind of hope that he might have said to him that's not all right you that's you shouldn't be saying that kind of thing um but yeah, so I, I I don't think there is a there is a response really except what the fuck. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think Ellie, your run is a good a good place to wrap up and move on to talking about um sex gynecology involvers it's much, much, <laughs> I'm sure it's, it's a happier topic, I reckon. Maybe. Definitely.
3: <laughs> Always, I would Always. say. <laughs> I think that's what I meant, is that you come out of actually, you know, having conversations like this and talking to predominantly other women, you know, around this aspect of things and moving things forward. And then, you know, you're suddenly met with a stark contrast of things that happen like this out in the public and you're like what <laughs> yeah how have we just suddenly gone back so far um but i think when you say to people and... that
0: you're perpetuating rape culture you get an eye roll people are like but how what does that mean and it's like and and actually sometimes i find it a quite hard thing to explain it's it, it all these little things that that end up being you're per- perpetuating rape culture and but yeah the the response i've had is is an eye
1: roll um mm-hmm. Yeah, right. I mean, like the phrase, you just can't take a joke or, you know, you make things so serious. I think that's also another eye roll. And then the problem is that, like, many people will just continue laughing along with things, even though it's not funny, because it's always easier to laugh along than it is to be that one person in the group calling out bad behavior.
2: Mm. And I think it goes back to now it's so normalized, right, that that the person is being reinforced for those jokes. People are laughing and we're going to keep doing whatever is being reinforced. Yeah. And sadly, I think, you know, I mean, now I can broaden it out and say, like, there's so many things that people are saying all the time who are good people, but they know it's harmful, whether it's about bodies, whether it's and body image, whether it's about women. And the problem is that society is still laughing or condoning it, um, not actually stopping it. And and so, you know, when it's sort of like, why do they keep doing it? In my mind, it's because. The audience keeps laughing the audience keeps reinforcing it and then it, and, and we need to change that because until that happens our psychology is we're going to keep
1: doing what gets reinforced yeah one thing we want to talk today about was shame and how shame comes into sex how shame comes into women's sexual beings and bodies and again i think a lot of that comes from the culture that we're in again i see a lot of videos online from mostly men spouting some pretty harmful myths and i'm going to use the word myths you know one of them is the fact that if women have multiple partners their vagina is going to stretch and there's often this thing about uh, a key and a lock like a a lock that can be opened by many keys is a is a shit lock whereas uh a key that can unlock many no a key that can unlock many locks is like golden a whatever. good lock a good oh, lock goodness. no a good key a good key yeah. um And the fact that like women's vaginas get stretched and the reason that women need to only have like one partner and be devoted to their um, to their male partners is because for men, cheating is natural and it's not natural for women, Uh, all this stuff. And you just every time you log on, you're like, oh, my God, hey, like one guy said the other day that women having um, orgasms was unnatural and it was a masculine thing like men orgasm, women don't. And so, uh, so another
0: guy. So I feel I feel like we should just break these things down before we go <laughs> yeah. through them. Let's just we'll, we'll do two two bits here. Smita, can we hand over to you to discuss whether <laughs> if you have multiple partners, your vagina is going to be looser?
3: Um, I, I was <laughs> yeah, just sorry, I was just fascinated with what you were saying. I was thinking, <laughs> where, it, what is this? What are you playing <laughs> to? Um, so no, uh, definitely not, and. In terms of the vagina, I mean we've always got to remember this is an anatomical structure as well as the vulva and things and it, it is a fantastic part of our body. It does so much for forget uh, us. It does so much for hum- the human race. We would not be here if our vaginas did not do what they did. Um Hell our yeah. <laughs> not do what they did at the end of the day. you know they can accommodate vaginal births. Uh, you know, multiple births sometimes at times, um, and then they have the innate ability that they obviously people stretch for that time and and then go back. So, um, no, multiple partners um, is uh, as as probably uh, well thought of as those partners might think themselves to be uh, not going to do anything to the vagina. <laughs> um, yeah, the men think that they're in... so
0: powerful that they're that they're. Dampness
1: and the stretching I, it. Oh, they're, yeah, they're not the size of a I baby to, either. Like a penis no, exactly. is never the size of a fucking baby. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, you know,
3: ten yeah. centimeters head at least is what you're 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 passing through. So sorry, but <laughs> You're not going to do anything. Um, but I almost feel the more that I sort of spend time thinking about this aspect of things, and you know, the discrepancies and and the gaps and things like that. I, you know, I, I feel it is because you know, women's bodies and women's vaginas and vulvas are such a powerful part um, of society that it's almost been, you know, purposefully downplayed um, so that that aspect to it is just forgotten about and, and things like that. But actually, you know, whether it's um, for sexual pleasure, whether it's sexual function, whether it's actual bodily functions and things like that, that you, you cannot, Get by really um, without them. So uh, I think it's about coming back to those those main aspects and thoughts and connections and um, uh, and you know remembering remembering all all of that positive side of things. Um, and the only thing I would just mention at this point, because as part of uh, what I do in the clinic, is uh, intimate. Uh, sort of treatments and things like that. So vaginal rejuvenation is something that is um, available there uh, as treatments and is something that is reasonably popular. But it's something that, as a gynecologist, I would say from my point of view, it it is as a functional treatment that I offer it. It's not sort of yes, sexual function is just as important as someone's who's got sort of urinary incontinence or something like that, which all might be coming due to the same changes, um, anatomically and things. But uh, I think, again, seeing treatments like that, and moving them away from, oh, you might because of vaginal laxity and things like that, because of looseness and this and that, and bringing it back to actually the the sort of functional reasons why uh, those treatments might benefit women um, is also something I think that should be seen as a positive, that that it's available, it's out there, and it, it, the two almost just need to be dissociated from each other, that it's there for um, helping to sort of tighten the vagina so that I guess, ultimately, you're giving better pleasure to the man, it's, it's bringing it back to yourself. Um, and, you know, for some women saying, actually, this might help with orgasm, um, and things like that for your own personal uh, benefit, rather than anything else.
0: Carolyn, do you see that kind of thing coming through with your um, patients, like people who are worried about or, or, you know, whether it's men being uncomfortable with their partners, having had multiple partners or women worrying that um, that they might not be tight enough for want of a better word?
2: Yeah, I mean, this makes my blood boil a little bit. I I really see so much shame for women about their bodies and so much misinformation. So I'll just rewind for a second and comment a couple of things and then I'll catch up there. Um, You know, I mean, nobody thinks that we're stretching out our mouth every time we put food in it. Our mouth is a passageway, just like the vagina is a passageway. And we are eating every day, many times a day, and no one is worried about that. This is ridiculous. And we need to really think about the vagina as a passageway just like the mouth and and help people to overcome that. And, you know, Samita, you were just saying what I was also gonna say, you know, that the the, the whole idea of a woman who becomes loose is so centered on male sexual pleasure, as if a woman's vagina is only there for his pleasure. And, you know, I'm gonna be controversial for a moment and say, even if it did stretch out, the question for me would be, does it change her pleasure? Not yeah. does it change his, her body is there for her. So I find that really upsetting. I, um, I, I've referenced my daughter before, and I see so much about how uh, women's beliefs about their bodies form as I now watch my daughter grow up. It was interesting. She's nine now, and she was with her friends, and they were talking about something. And it came out that most of her friends do not wash their vulva the way they wash the rest of the parts of their body. They just splash water down there because they kind of think it's gross and yucky. And I think that's so horrible that these little girls... Are thinking a part of their body is gross and yucky where they are so happy to stick their fingers in their ears and in their mouth and they explore everything else with curiosity and here's this part of their body that somehow the messaging already is there mm-hmm. so I, I really feel very strongly um, most of the women and of course again i see a biased sample in my office but i also again talk to a lot of people about sexuality outside of my office when i give you know public talks And women feel so much shame about these parts of their body. And they have so many fears of is their body doing what it should. And yes, I do hear men sometimes, not in my office, they're not coming in saying I'm worried that my partner is too loose. But again, the jokes, the jokes of she's a loose woman. And again, not only that that's then potentially about her vulva, but also about her character, her morality, and, and that she's less of a person. If she has explored sexuality for herself, and I think that that's just atrocious.
0: And the thing is, is that I kind of hope, like again, we've said a few times, we're in twenty twenty four for goodness sake. Um, that we're allowed to. I mean, we've always been allowed, but surely we're allowed to explore our sexuality. And we're, we're, we. Be, well, I, I don't know how to phrase it. I, Brienne, I, think, I don't I, think I, we have
2: been allowed to explore well, our not. sexuality. I think we absolutely have not been allowed to historically. I think that, uh-huh. you know, women have been considered not good marriage material. Pe- you know, other families, uh, 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 family members have said, no, you cannot marry that person. Um, I think women haven't been allowed and yeah. they, you know, yeah. hopefully now we move into actually encouraging them to.
0: And actually, just this week, you saying that, um, it m- reminded me that yesterday, I think, I, uh, a, there was a story about a doctor in Yorkshire who reported that she'd been asked to do a hymen check on a young girl to make sure that she was still a virgin. Um, but no, you're, you're absolutely right. But, but we should be able to explore our sexuality. And actually, mm-hmm. I think it makes us better both for ourselves and our partners if you know what you want and what you like and 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 what other people like when you've been with them surely it's going to be better in the long term and i've never i don't really understand it i i don't understand the jealousy i don't understand that yeah this whole like oh well if you've had plenty of partners then you're like you said like it's something to do with the your character and that you're undesirable in some way shape or form but yeah i find it very, very frustrating.
3: Can I just add a point around sort of sexuality and in, in, um, I guess through the ages and things, but you know, if we look back um, probably to the beginning of sort of the AD times and things like that, you know, things like the Kama Sutra, um, things in other cultures as well, sexuality prevailed in those times and mm. it's working out what happened from those points onwards, and even now, Karma Sutra is meant to be the best-selling book of all time, um, or one of them. Um, so what, what exactly happened in different populations and different communities and in different sectors for it to have gone from from that sort of level of visibility where it's engraved, it's carved into the walls of, you know, temples and, and things like this. And and there is something that's, um, you know, permanent. To where we are now. How have we, in the twenty-first century, ended up in the situation that we are in, um, compared to what was going on back then? Sorry, I don't know exactly when it was. Probably wasn't the you know, 1400s, a Twelve hundreds. I don't know. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, it, and it's not just uh, not just there in the Indian culture and things. I'm sure it was around in in all all aspects of civilizations in those times as well. So mm, I don't know
1: for another topic, but <laughs> something I, I I want to look into this. Yeah such an interesting point like why is it that something such as the Kama Sutra which was all about liberating sexuality and people enjoying each other's bodies and you know sex being something that you do together rather than something you do to another person and you know why is it that that concept got diluted and yet you know we're in 2024 and we're still teaching the very sexist and very outdated ideas of Plato and Aristotle and unfortunately the reason why That is concerning is because some of the ideas that they put into the world. So um, we've got essentialism, which can look today like gender norms. So this idea that men and women have traits and characteristics that cannot be changed. They are fixed. They also introduced the idea that women are inferior to men physically, spiritually and intellectually, that women lack self-control and jurisdiction over their emotions and minds, and that only men were capable of rational thought. Now, when you consider that around the same time, there was another guy called Socrates who believed that men and women were equal in all aspects other than one, which is physical strength. And because of that, he advocated for the fact that society would benefit if men and women had equal access to the same education, the same pursuits, military training, physical training, musical training. He believed that society would benefit as a whole if we encourage men and women to participate in the same way now this has been a massive oversimplification of you know classic greek philosophy but the point being is that there were multiple schools of thought at any one time about a particular topic and yet the school of thought that seems to shame women appears to be given so much more airtime than any of the others so it's never really had it's never really been fairly challenged and the repercussions of that is that certain people believe that the thinking of Plato and Aristotle is the gospel truth, and that when you see women being shamed or victim blamed for something, well, they deserve it, or, you know, that shame lives in some sort of yes. truth that goes back to the fact that women are inferior to men and should be submissive. Um and, you know, it's not just bros and podcasts telling the audiences that women having orgasms are unnatural or the fact that, you know, men can cheat because it's in their nature to do so. Uh, we see this sort of policing, quote unquote, on the playground. We see this, you know, messaging coming from from parents, from mums, you know, telling their daughters to mm. cover themselves up a bit more because they don't want to attract the boys. Um, yeah, it's just so fascinating just how mainstream these ideas are when you consider how far back the ideas come from and again that is that has to come down to the fact that as a western society we chose to platform certain ideas over others
2: yeah i I think you're totally right i think um you know i often say it's it's a lot of the messages are coming from well-meaning parents and and mothers saying to their girls, don't give it away for free. You know, you, you don't want to be that kind of person. Yeah. That isn't appropriate. Um, I, I don't I don't think we talked about this last time on the episode, if so, let me know. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I have a lot of clients who come from very conservative religious backgrounds and the messaging there, you know, I don't know how much the audience knows about the cupcake analogy and whether you guys have that in the UK as well, where young girls in the youth groups um, of some of the religions uh, in one of the lessons, the leader commonly comes in with a tray of cupcakes and says to these young girls, who wants a cupcake? And, of course, all the girls put up their hand. And then the leader says, no problem, and takes a cupcake and gives it a big lick and then puts it back on the tray and pass it around. And, of course, all the girls are looking at that one licked cupcake and not taking that one. And as the tray makes its back, way back to the leader, the leader says, this is like your body. If you let someone else lick it, who else is going to want it? And, and there's no equivalent with the boys, there's no equivalent of a tray of long johns being passed around with the same <laughs> idea. It's only done to the girls. And that we don't have parents saying, why is that being taught? Like, yeah. that should be removed. And I don't know, maybe there is a movement for this next thing. I don't know that it is. So I was born in Germany, but I came here when I was two, so I grew up mainly with the English language. And as with so many girls, I only grew up knowing the word for vagina in German, not the word for vulva. And recently I was speaking to one of my relatives from Germany and I said, what is the word for vulva in German? And I found out for the first time, and I'm in my forties now, that the word for vulva to this day is shame. Scham, that's the word for a woman's genitals. And why is no one pushing back? We have pushed back on a lot of language. Why is it that a woman's vulva is to this day in German, the shame, and I'm just horrified. The, the messages that adults give and allow to be out there that that continue to perpetuate the shame women feel about their bodies. And wow. do you know
0: the word in German for um, labia is "Schamlippen," which means "shame lips."
2: Yes. Yes. I mean, I can't believe. Maybe there is a pushback happening. I'm not in Germany, but mm. I cannot believe that that's still the name. Um, you know, and and. In some ways, I'm for the first time in my life thankful that I didn't know the word for vulva in German; that I only was taught yeah. vagina. Whereas yeah. I actually think people do need to know other body parts, but not if that's what it's called. That's terrible.
1: Wow, that's horrendous, it's... Smita. You and I uh, obviously we met for this podcast, but then we went together to um, Pause life. And while you were there, you brought your little. Uh, vulva I'm gonna at it. it's not model. a mannequin is it model but um, vulva model with you and again something that's really important to your work is around language and the fact that you know i remember calling my uh vagina vulva oh, there you go ah vulva my vulva my downstairs that was how i referred to it growing up and also like um oh god what's it called a whore wash have you heard that a whore wash is basically where you just wash your bits oh, so yeah. like if you mm, oh, it's i have stupid, heard little, like... that ah smeter Why is it so important that we write petitions to Germany to get them to change the word, number one? (laughs) But number two, why is it so important that we know the difference between these two and that we are educating not just women, everyone, about the fact that there is more to female anatomy than just the vagina, which we all know is one piece which lives inside but is often used to refer to the entire everything going on, Dama.
3: Yeah. I mean, it's it's amazing i think that uh, the more again that i've sort of done talks on this and and spoken to patients about it the the actual uh op- sort of other side of things for me i guess knowing the anatomy and having studied it and things like that to realize that there's so much misunderstanding or lack of awareness around actually our body and parts of our body which have been there since day 1 and um, and beforehand um and the fact that i think you know, various studies have been done and things, and it's sort of 45% of the population can't label the vagina. If you gave a diagram um, of all the parts, um, so obviously the vagina being the cylindrical part uh, of our body that leads internally towards uh, the cervix and the uterus, the vulva being the external part of our female genitalia. If you even showed a diagram of the vulva, up to 10% of women um, only may be able to correctly identify and label the different parts of the vulva um, and it's shocking you know that there's just that's like that are just shocking and as you said you're not alone in clinics and things like that when I um, obviously having got a specific clinic for vulval conditions and women are coming because of symptoms that they have for that but even then just sort of making um that connection with the language with the terminology um can be a, a really big part of of the appointment as well um allowing women to feel comfortable um after maybe their entire lifetime of never calling it a vulva, maybe perhaps not knowing what the right words are i always encourage um self-examination so with a mirror um if they are comfortable to because I feel it's really important if they've got um, awareness of certain symptoms so it could be itching it could be burning it could be pain uh, that is occurring in the vulva that actually they physically see what is there what what is it that's causing that because so much of again part of um, different conditions can be associated with that fear of I don't want to know this is something on my body which i shouldn't be talking about i shouldn't be comfortable with um i shouldn't be touching um or looking at and things like that and that almost sort of caroline i'm sure you'll have a lot to say on this as well that almost sort of heightens um actually the physical aspect of what's going on so i again tend to encourage that i use my my va my um, after that, so I go through it again um, with the women and, and just creating that connection with such an important part of, of our bodies. Um, so again, hopefully give that empowerment, give that sense of um, belonging and acceptance. Um, because yes, there are also lots of conditions like sclerosis and things like that, which are actually unfortunately going to physically change everything um and the appearance as well um of the structures in that area and perhaps as someone who's actually never even looked their whole life that then realize that having never looked it's all changed and it's all you know going to continue changing and and become very different i think that's it's a really you know and it is it's a very emotional time sometimes in these appointments um especially for women who are sort of like i wish i'd just spoken to someone earlier the amount yeah. of times that we'll hear that, um, but again, if we don't feel comfortable using the right terminology and using that connection, and we know these facts, women don't go to see their doctors um, to talk about what's happening, um, what they're feeling, because it's associated. Uh, you know, is can be made to feel that it's associated with there's something wrong. I've done something wrong um, with it, um, and yeah. Just, just such a huge shame when you hear these
1: stories but also the fact that doctors so like I've definitely had doctors refer to my vulva as a vagina and so that I'm also, you see that language played back at you and maybe to make I know that obviously doctors choose not to always use the medical term because they're trying to break it down to layman terms but it's also I think a real disappointment that that for me is like that doesn't need to be simplified and yet they they still fall into the trap of like well you know it as vagina so we're just going to keep that you know that go in versus actually this is an education point that I could be having with you right now and consider I've been seeing a doctor since I was you know young really young that would have been such a natural conversation to have um so I think there's also a missed opportunity there I think for medical professionals yeah. to also start to bridge that gap
3: I mean a lot of uh talks that I do is for healthcare professionals for so GPs and things like that as well especially around vulnerable conditions um and part of uh, part of that well, there's some brilliant work that's been done by um researchers and uh, patient groups so Dr Sophie Rees is fantastic and she's doing a lot of work with um lived experiences of lichen sclerosis for example and it's a great resource um uh, with patients not actual voices but you know being uh, spoken about in, in a video uh, which I tend to start these sessions off with because it's actually just putting healthcare professionals in you know, really right in the center of actually what is it that these women are experiencing, um, and just talking about the language um, and you know going back to what we were saying before, it's role modeling and stuff, and we need to see that coming from from the highest levels because if we do, if we keep going, what's going on down there? How are you feeling in your bits? Um, how are your lady parts? then you know we we're, we're going around in circles um yep. so you know it's it's just again it is as much a message for healthcare professionals as it is um for for women as well it's just using the right terminology and being comfortable with that mm. um is a i think it's a really empowering uh,
1: starting point um, mm. for under you know for your own women's health journey well, Carolyn shared a very awesome story last time we spoke to her about her very own VA that you took on a was it a camping trip?
3: Good um, memory,
2: yes. <laughs> there we go.
1: Oh, because it was it was such a great way. So if you want to do like a um, a short replay of, of that story, that'd be great. Sure. But It was just a really <laughs> great way to start introducing that in a really comfortable setting. Um, yeah.
2: Yeah, sure. Yeah. The quick story is um, my friends, our, my daughter's friends, are their parents are our very good friends. And they have really said, Carolyn, can you make sure our kids know all the right terminology and have a better sex education than we did? And I said, sure, no problem. So we were all going camping. There were five families um, with our children. And I don't believe in having the sex talk. I believe in letting kids be curious and ask lots of questions and have them answered in real time. So I brought along my vulva uh, model and I just decided to put it on the camping table and it was 8 in the morning and one of the girls came to find the other girls in their tents and saw the vulva sitting on the table and right away went into the tent and said there's a vulva on the table and all <laughs> these girls come out, five girls come out of the tent they're like where's the vulva, where's the vulva and then the sad thing was the next thing that they said is they all at the same time went eh and i was filming it and i said why are you guys saying that it's ew and you know they they were 8 at the time and they were such sweet girls and they were like well because you know it's gross it's um it's kind of gooey and all these things but as we started talking, they went up to the vulva and just like kids do, they started to explore and they started to touch it. And we talked about, oh, do you know what the name of that part is? And by the end of it, they were all touching and talking about it as matter of fact, as when you give them any other, you know, anatomical piece at Science World or anywhere else. And by the end of it, one of the other mothers came up and, and she said, oh, what are you guys doing? And she said, we're, we're talking about the vulva. And it was like all, it was just nothing. And it was so lovely. And they knew the parts of it and they were curious and all the disgust had gone down. And I think that's the reality. And just to piggyback on this, when my daughter was two, she had a urinary tract infection two or three years old, and we ended up at the children's hospital because it was late at night and she was crying. And it was it, it was this weird moment because um, the doctor says to her very sweetly, you know, I'm just I'm going to look at your private parts. And my daughter looks at me like, I don't know what that is. And I said, it's your vulva, honey. But I thought, you know, again, why are we calling it the private parts? Her whole body is her body. And she gets to choose which parts of her body she wants. She wants to cover up or not. You know, it, it, every part of it is her body, but no part is a private part. And I think, again, we know that shame lives in the unknown, in the hidden, in the not talked about So when we do not talk about it, when we don't let kids be naked with each other, again, I'm going to say something controversial, I hope my daughter, when she has her sleepovers, I hope they are all looking at each other's vulvas because we know that doesn't sexualize kids, but we know that exposure to bodies helps us feel comfortable in our own. When we have exposure to bodies that aren't airbrushed and everything, we get comfortable with our own cellulite. We get comfortable with our own bodies as they are. and so many women have never seen another woman's vulva. And so they think their own, there's there's something wrong with it. And they might only see pornography, which of course shows a very limited range of airbrushed vulvas. So I think we've got to encourage people to be curious and not right away think that that's sexualizing. Education is not sexualization.
0: I've got a, uh, in my downstairs bathroom, they're all drawings rather than photos, but I've got uh, a two posters of boobs and bums all different shapes and sizes and things and i really want a vulva one um so yeah I'm, I'm hunting one of those out but yeah you're right like people don't i i mean i'm i'm pretty sure that i have never seen another vulva that's not on porn i really
1: I've seen for, like I've like, played a lot of sports, so I've seen frontal. Oh, yeah, but I've never Do, yeah seen, so you like, mean
0: you've seen like the front of someone's like
1: You've seen yeah. the cubic
2: mound, the but pubic, you've yeah, never yeah, yeah. actually seen yeah. the full yeah, vulva yeah. with no. all the parts. I think yes. I'm with oh, you okay. I don't
0: think I have either no, I don't think so and so
2: how are people supposed to feel that they are normal and it's the normal range and how are they supposed to feel good about it you know mm, yeah. um, there's a wonderful book in case anyone does want it called I'll show you mine which is from a, fo- a female photographer who said I want to help women feel comfortable with their bodies and she takes mm. a photo that is not airbrushed of both the frontal view like you're saying Stanny, and then of the legs open nothing airbrushed lighting all the same And it's just page after page and women telling their story of how they feel about their vulva. And I use it all the time Mm -hmm. with clients. And it makes such a difference for women by the end of it to not have disgust, to not feel the same amount of shame, to feel like, wow, my body is normal. Now I'm curious about my own. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. we need we need people to see vulvas.
3: And I was just going to say some of the resources that I talk about as well um, for healthcare professionals are things like the vulva gallery um and there's the labia library and things like this there's a brilliant book um i think it's on etsy called this is the vulva by joe corral and it's got you know just tons and tons of photos um again just to make that mind body connection literally of familiarity and um awareness that everyone is absolutely different and you know again one of the first things i'll say is um i guess as a gynecologist uh, over the years i've probably seen a <laughs> <laughs> A thousand thousands of vulvas and things but you know nobody's it's like our faces nobody's face is going to be the same as each other um and it's the same with the vulva and it it, it it's again just bringing that awareness back because as you said we know that we're not using the right words we're not seeing what it looks like we have these images um put onto us um through media um ultimately i guess or i don't know maybe through what partners say and things like that about the the conception of what, what it should be. But this is why it's brilliant, you know, things like Gillian Anderson's dress, although there was some controversy on that because it was it referred to as, it had vaginas on it. Um, so I think a lot of people have been going on social media and saying, nope, vulvas. Um, but, you know, it's a, I still think it's a good starting point. But for a young girl who perhaps may look at the photos um, sitting in, you know, mum's magazine on the counter this week and just be like, oh, there's there's vulvas on that dress and you know what a great conversation starting piece that could be um to to sort of if it's if it feels uncomfortable that you can use something like that um for them to identify with because
0: we because we don't discuss things and we don't we don't look at other people's vulvas and we don't talk about it because as as you said Carolina, people see it as ew or gooey or icky or whatever it is you then like I I've been having a conversation recently with my partner we're considering a baby and I said to him oh there's going to be all sorts of like gooey stuff that we're going to have to talk about because we haven't really talked about that kind of stuff we haven't been together that long in the grand scheme of things so there's whole loads of all sorts of stuff that he's never experienced with me and I'm like there's going to be lots of goo and mm-hmm. and again it was just like I i was trying to broach this conversation but it's because we we as a society don't talk about this kind of stuff um i also so i've got two two things so i remember seeing a video on it was on facebook or instagram or something where um it was just like a man looking really confused and it was saying something like my girlfriend's just told me occasionally she feels this like bubble coming from her coming from her vagina now the thing is i've i've definitely felt like felt that but if you don't know that other people have that, how do you know that that's normal? And should there, is that something you should get checked and various other things? And again, it's because we don't talk about it. But I think I certainly have like a friend who I am able to talk about all sorts of random stuff about. And occasionally I'll just send her a message completely apropos of nothing um, with something to do with, with my lady bits, with my vagina or vulva or whatever. Um, and uh, recently I messaged her and I just said, so I'm in London, and uh my I've had to go and buy new underwear because the um the oh goodness what's it called the 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 bit the basically my pants are too small and it's all up in me and and i <laughs> and I said and my my lady is sticking out the side and it's everything's terrible and she messaged back and like without i i knew she was the right person to send this to and she was like damn those damn our extra large labia and like and and she said but even her daughter has the same problem her daughter is three and her pants are too small to fit everything in and it's like that way to make us all feel bad about the size of our labia like <laughs> but yeah i think everyone needs a person that they can send something to and go this has happened during my period or this happened during sex and was that is is have you seen that before or this goop came out of me um or whatever and it just makes you feel a bit more normal rather than sitting with it with yourself because sometimes your partner you don't know how to explain that to your partner and they certainly if it's a man they certainly have never experienced it
1: It's a very Western thing though, isn't it? And I know yeah, Carolyn, you were talking about last time in terms of like sex education and perhaps actually lower in the age that we start talking about sex education, but it's not, I think unfortunately the problem is, is that like when we talk about bodies, some people immediately go to sex. So when we start like, we like talk about introducing like. Um, more conversations around this at school. We're not talking about teaching four-year-olds how to have sex with one another or talking you know, to seven-year-olds about blowjobs. What we're talking about is that like, we should sit down and say, these are your body parts, and this is how they work. And like, girls, you might get a period at some point in the next couple of years. Like, this is what you should be expecting. Puberty's about to kick in. Like, this is what your like kind of body changes you should be expecting. And I think, unfortunately, too many people The second they they see, again, naked bodies or they start, like, learning about uh, the word vagina comes up or penis comes up, it immediately goes to sex in their head. And I think it's because we've over-sexualized bodies and because of the shame that we have within Western cultures and the fact that, you know, you wouldn't have a topless beach here. And if you did, that would make headlines. It's, for me, I don't know, like, I think that's half the problem is that we focus so much on nakedness or we conflate the two with sex and actually sex is something we can do with our bodies but it's not what our bodies are and i don't know for me like i think it's why people get really certainly within the uk they immediately shut down conversations about trying to bring in sex education for younger ages because for them it's like i don't want my kids learning about sex and it's like sex is more Mm -hmm. than intercourse But
2: it speaks to that we are not getting the research out to parents. You know, the research is very, very clear that children who do have more comprehensive sex education actually wait longer to have sex and are more discerning. And so ironically, I always say if your goal is to make sure your kid doesn't have sex until they're much older, the best thing you can do is speak really openly about sexuality, give them information. And it is when we don't talk about it that kids' curiosity is going to lead them to go down that that rabbit hole all on their own and without the proper knowledge of what is healthy sexuality. How do they talk about it to be able to say no? Um, How do they feel a sense of ownership over their body, over their pleasure? So, you know, in some ways, A, I agree with you, Ellie. We, We right away assume that everything is sexualized as soon as we talk about certain parts of the body. And that's us sexualizing it that's not kids my daughter's brain is just not at this age she's not geared towards sexuality she's curious but it does not make her want it more she gets the answer and she moves on in the same way as she asks me about what a calorie is and then she moves on and i think we need to get the education out to parents show them the research show them that by talking about it and even talking about sexuality even even making it yes about that sexuality should hopefully feel really good this is your body if it doesn't feel good stop it It still is not going to lead a child to want to do it. You know, we talk to them about weddings and it doesn't make children think, you know what, today I want to get married. They think about it for the future. But, you know, we talk to them about everything else um, and having babies and we give them little dolls and they pretend they're mamas. But we don't actually think they're going to say, hey, I want to, you know, actually go and have sex and get pregnant today. So we have these crazy beliefs that talking about sex will suddenly lead to something different. And everything else we're willing to talk about and say one day you're going to have that and it's going to be great. You know, we could do the same with sexuality and say, you know, one day you're going to probably explore sexuality, and it's going to be wonderful for you. And I hope you always know it's your body. Yeah. Well, it's also interesting the products in the stores. You know, if we go into our local uh, drugstore, kind of I don't know what you guys have in the UK, but you know, Shoppers Drug Mart, and Drugs, whatever it is. You know, the products for men are often about boosting up. Everything is like more than, and we're going to make it better and for the products for women are all these things of how do we help you to not be gross the douches the steams the cleansers the ph balancers the you know for even though we've distilled women's genitalia down to one piece of the vagina boy do we have a lot of products <laughs> meant to somehow make that part of the body okay and 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 that's huge messaging you know for my daughter to walk by and see all those products that are giving the symbol of that oh watch out you might smell bad this might not be okay you might need to do something That's big messaging. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, again, we need to get to a point where we say, why is a douche on a shelf? That that is not a good product. That should not be there. Get it out of there Mm -hmm. Um, because it is it is shaming women's bodies. It's making them think what might be going on in my genitals. If all those products are on the shelf, don't I need those? What might be wrong with me?
3: Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's when the words such as hygiene, feminine hygiene products are used and you're like, we don't use hygiene for anything else. And just that that association automatically, especially as you said, for young girls is probably going to be like, oh, my God, I need to, you know, I need to look after it because it's unhygienic. I need to make it hygienic. And Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, just just words like that that are being used by the industries and things are just terrible.
1: yeah, it's like so in my head that immediately went to like unclean but I think more than that yeah. it goes to dirty and dirty exactly. is again that whole thing that you're mm-hmm. sleeping around like you don't want to catch anything and all that all that language around like yeah mm. all comes down to control for me it's just like let's shame them enough yeah. that women fall in line and they don't want to experiment or explore because god forbid anything's going to happen to them which then they will get blamed for because what we told you if you just kept your legs closed then this wouldn't have happened.
0: Well, and actually for both men and women on this front, on the dirty clean thing, I think for a long time uh, when asking people at STIs, people say, are you clean? And I I, I don't think that's a positive way of approaching that either because, again, you're saying, well, if you do have an STI, then that means you're dirty. How did you get dirty? Well, you did that by sleeping with people who had an STI. And Mm. that could just be one person, as we know. You know, You don't have to slept with lots of people to get an SEI. Um, so yeah, that's back to the, back to the language
3: thing. And then that follows through with, um, you know, as I said, with that, that association, and then women don't want to seek help when they are um, faced with, you know, issues going forwards, because there's such a heavy um, association, I guess, with sexually transmitted infections and things like that, that, that could for a lot of people I guess that could be the only thing that could be wrong if if there is something occurring symptom wise over the vulva and the vagina from discharge and things like that. And um and then things get delayed. So, you know, it, it's leading to at various points in life,
1: really difficult um situations for women as well. Is there anything that comes up in your sessions that you think could be solved far earlier on in someone's life so are there conversations that you have or issues that come up that you go if they just taught this at school this person would have been saved like 10 15 years is there like can you think of any things i that think you that think think... applies to both of you for different, different reasons start yeah.
0: to me. if you want to go and then we'll go to carolyn
3: yeah i think it's just as i was talking about and just awareness of the anatomy and terminology because i guess my um Work is um, has an overlap, but is slightly different as well in terms of um, a lot of mine is is clinical uh, sort of examination based and and things like that for the these benign vulval skin conditions for example or features of menopause genitourinary urinary syndrome of menopause um, and you know I've I've done talks before where I've been stopped by a woman in her fifties who said sorry what what's the vulva um, and that's not uncommon. So a lot of the time it is getting back to that anatomy. And I, mean, I say, yes, you know, we've talked about sort of sex education, but school education, I think know what it is first and then know what the functions are, because it's it's more than just to do with sexual function. We pee from there. You know, we've got hair growing there. We might have hair. We might not have hair. You know, there's all these different aspects of it. And um, we poo very closely from there as well. So it's it's really knowing actually what are all the different functions um, that are going on in this area um yes school would be fantastic and and getting all of this sort of um education uh anatomical education done in in, uh sort of junior school infant school junior school but i almost feel that there is a place for adults um to be having this again especially as it comes into awareness around the menopause as well because you know we've talked about uh, potential looseness in the vagina but guess what as you go through the menopause it all starts to shrink and it will get smaller again unfortunately for people through because of the loss of estrogen um, affecting these tissues and, and acidity and again it's the awareness of well what's happened now what, what's going on now Um so yeah just sort of various Classes, education, workshops, things like this—you know, like Paul's live um, and things—was uh, such a great event um, to get things uh, out there for women. Um, but yeah, I think from my point of view, it's sort of this this sort of baseline understanding
1: is really a good thing to start. And also, I think um, what was Emily was saying uh, on our last episode around the commercialisation of uh, perimenopause, and she said that one thing we need to stop doing is calling the menopause a symptom or, like, a diagnostic. It's not, it's just a life stage. And so why she says, like, I don't advocate for, like, us to be teaching 10 years about the menopause, it should be something that comes up... Um, sooner than it does there's too many adults who reach it having know nothing about it and so yeah i think having kind of a base layer like base level understanding about what your body what you should expect from your body or what's kind of on the horizon i think is can only ever benefit people mm. Carolyn, is there anything that pops up in your sessions that you think oh for god's sake like i don't like this could be so easily resolved with just an earlier conversation
2: oh i want to say everything um having worked in <laughs> multiple areas of psychology you know in other areas, when I worked with people who with depression and anxiety, you know, they would know that they really were struggling with something, that something was wrong. People coming into my office, they don't know. Like, do I have something wrong with me? Is it or not? they They don't know. Is it normal that I have fantasies about this or that? Is it normal that my body does this or that? You know, how long am I supposed to last for? Am I supposed to orgasm through intercourse? So I would say, in some ways, Uh, Even though I'm a psychologist, so much of my work is just education in this area of sexuality, whereas when I worked in other areas, it really was. People already knew something was wrong, and now they were just saying, how can I address it? And here are people coming in, and I don't know if I'm normal, and that all could have been addressed through education, and some of it is really sad, you know, some of it is people who have you know been sexually assaulted and didn't understand why their body had some sort of physiological response and now are feeling like does that mean i actually liked what was happening Um, So some of it is really tragic. And yes, we need to get that information out there. Some of it is just for people that they just are wondering, is something wrong with me that I'm not orgasming through intercourse, for example, or for a male? Is it normal that I'm not lasting 40 minutes and I'm orgasming in seven minutes? You know, and, and for them, it's beautiful and easy. You know, it's like, nope, that's actually normal. And they're like relieved and they leave after one or two sessions. And for other people, it really is the hurt of why did no one tell me this? Because I felt shame and horror with my own body and felt betrayed by it for decades
1: yeah so it feels like education is the common theme here just uh yeah more conversations about more things yes yes
3: yeah i think one of the most common things i say and carolyn i'm sure this this is the same for you as well is you're not alone um so many of these women will come and for them, obviously, it's it's their journey and it might be the first time in their journey that they've come to speak about these particular issues. Um, and it's it's trying to say it in that way that so they understand that there's nothing wrong with them for, for experiencing what they're experiencing. And, but I feel like I say that, you know, at least 75% of, of, of clinics um, to each and every person should have a sign in the door saying it's not, you're not alone. <laughs> <laughs> um and that's such a shame because given that you know healthcare professionals like this are saying there's so much of the times women that that message is still not openly out there you know obviously we are starting conversations in various aspects but there's so much um you know to that's on a back burner at the moment that that we have to catch up with
1: yeah mm-hmm. i just think conversations like this are so important and you know i think Rhiannon and i are now past the stage where we We use social media or on social media, but I don't, I think we can critique it when we're kind of watching what we're watching. But, you know, again, there's some accounts, basically, I, I follow parody accounts, so they basically take the piss out of other people saying stuff. And, you know, there's one the other day where a guy was like, it's gay to go, like, to give your girlfriend head and you know again women don't naturally orgasm so like that like women who are doing that are mentally ill and all that kind of stuff and there's some really troubling messaging out there which are like which is being pushed out on podcasts which are being listened to by younger generations not just men like you know men boys and girls um and even like young adults and then again we already know a lot of people end up getting their sexual education from porn um, and again, not all porn is bad, but the um, vast majority of it is pushing a particular um, view. And actually, there's a really interesting thing that came up the other day about AI porn, because at the moment, porn is generally based on consent, right? Everything that you see you in, you hope. In adult porn, you hope has had some sort of consent between the actors, whereas AI porn completely removes the human. So the biggest fear is that actually what we're going to end up watching is non-consensual acts between people because there's no people to get the consent from but unfortunately that will then mirror itself back into the real world so um i think what i'm trying to say here is that like i really value these sort of conversations because we're having conversations with doctors and people who work in this area day in day out who can hopefully start to try and debunk some of the shit that we hear online and some of those really silly things that like Again, you know, men going oh fuck, you know, like someone someone online told me that my penis, if it's less than five inches, I failed. Like, and they will hold on to that for for a long time. Or girls being like, oh my god, you know, my boobs aren't double D's. Again, I failed at something. I should consider getting a blow and uh, blowjob a boob job at some point. And all these things, you know, or like oh, you know, I'm I meant to have orgasmed at some point, but like again, I, I can't do that. Intercourse. So for me, you guys are doing fantastic work. I love the fact that you both came back for another conversation around this because. I just really hope that we get to reach a few people and that, like, hopefully the people who are listening aren't paying attention to that stuff anyway. But I mean, all of us here probably have something in the back of our head that we heard once and we've never let go of. And I just think that, like, there's so much shit out there at the moment. It's just really refreshing having actual conversations with you. Um, yeah, without lots I think, and keys uh, analogies. there's probably yeah, there's probably it's probably a really
0: good time to uh, to wrap up. And I think just on what Ellie's just said, is there like a, a myth that either of you would like like that comes up a lot that you're like this is the one I want to debunk as our like final final point.
1: Love that question. You can take a moment. <laughs> <laughs> All of them.
2: There are so I think- many myths, I really <laughs> just, it, it, it's its hard for me to pick the best one. I'll, I'll hang up and then I'll think, oh, I wish I'd picked a different one. But I, i in some ways, the one that is most kind of in this relevant to the, today's conversation and that I'm seeing so much is the myth that a woman's worth is somehow tied to her body, whether that is her, her weight, whether that is her vulva and the size of her labia and how many partners she's had. And, you know, th- th- this this idea that our, our whole character and our whole morality is somehow tied to our body it has got to go. It's causing so much harm to so many people in so many ways. So if we can help women to, again, feel really empowered and feel proud of, of themselves and their bodies and feel curious and be able to explore, I would love to see women where they really can just be like, yeah, you know what? I had great sex last night. It was fantastic. Just like they might say, I had a great manicure yesterday or you got to check out this spa. You know, when we get to that place where someone can say, if you haven't tried this toy, you really should. That is where we are really no longer shaming women's sexuality, where we really are saying that that's okay. So I would love that
1: myth to go. Try the toy of you know the man though, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, great ellie, sex uh, like, gotta try that man he's great
0: <laughs> ellie will maybe we should start our conversations with with that in the future like t- talking about talking about what sex g- good or bad sex we've had uh smita <laughs>
3: um yeah it's such a, a lovely point carolyn i love that and i was just to say again just coming from that sort of functional side it's just that awareness that we touched upon you know about this sort of reference to hygienic and unhygienic and just debunking that there is nothing unhygienic about the vulva and vagina. It's the most beautiful natural parts of our bodies as, as, as every other part of our body is. Um, there's very little that needs to be done for it. Um, it's, it's sort of self-maintaining um, as you would imagine. It's a female <laughs> part of our bodies. It looks after itself. um so on the whole you don't need to be getting into any specific practices um around uh looking after the vulva or vagina simple water is good enough of course if you have got conditions and yes you need to be seeing a healthcare professional who will advise you on, on what what things you may need to use to help but otherwise um yeah it's just bringing that empowerment um as Carolyn said into into our bodies amazing love that
0: thank you both very very much um i think um our homework is uh grab a glass of wine and a mirror have a little look have a little look yep. at your vulva <laughs> and all the other all the other bits down there maybe label it get some post-its and work out what's what <laughs> well, so thank you thank, both, you, yeah, thank you so much for coming back and um yeah it was lovely to chat to you both as always
1: thank
2: you so much it's been great <laughs> The
0: Unfairer Sex is not sponsored, so if you liked our show, please show your support by liking, subscribing and sharing on all your favourite social media platforms. We're on Twitter at The Unfairer Sex, we're on Instagram and Facebook as at The Unfairer Sex Podcast and you can email us at theunfairersex at gmail.com.
1: Can I also just quickly throw in here as well? Like someone once said to me, the reason why the vagina vulva thing is so ridiculous is that you would never call a penis a testicle and you would never call a Uh testicle a penis. They're two separate things, so why do we expect Maybe we should just start doing that?
0: Just switch it over (laughs)
1: until someone says, What
0: are you doing? It's like, well,